the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Nick D Podcast. I am Nick DeGilio here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Please spread the word. Check us out at radiomisfits.com. Everywhere where you get your podcasts on every platform, rate, review us, take the time to give us feedback. You can leave voicemails anytime you want, 773-417-6948. Want to hear back from you? Drop us an email anytime, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Jason Skaggs for that fantastic opening theme. Uh, coming up on the podcast, my good friend Esmeralda Leon, who joins me every podcast, will be joining me on this Tuesday. And we're going to be talking about uh, phobias. And celebrities have some weird phobias. We're going to get into that. We're going to continue our taste test of weird flavored candy by tasting some green bean flavored candy. Ooh. My dad, Nick, he's 80. He loves to tell jokes. He's been doing it his whole life. Every Tuesday, he comes through my back door and tells a joke, and we will hear my dad tell a joke as well. And coming up in the next segment, um, I could not be more excited. One of my favorite people in the world. I am so, so honored, so thrilled, and so unbelievably excited to welcome the one, the only, the amazing Suzanne Vega will be joining me right after uh, this segment uh, I really love Hi, her. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Don't get jealous, Carrie. I know. I love you, too. But anyway, Suzanne Vega is going to be with us. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I, we want to hear from you, uh, your feedback, your voicemails. We encourage our subscribers and our listeners to bust in here and tell us how you feel via email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, or voicemail at 773-417-6948. We love to listen to them. We listen to all of them and read all of them, and sometimes we play some back and read them on the air, and here is something we're going to play back right here. From the voicemail world at 773-417-6948. Hey, Nick, this is Pete, faithful weekly listener. Absolutely love hearing you on Radio Misfits. Uh, love every episode. Uh, wanted to let you know I uh, showed my nine-year-old son a edited-for-TV version of Shaun of the Dead because he's really into zombies. Uh, zombies. Zombies. I just created a genre, zombies and comedy, uh, and I figured that would be the perfect thing to show him. Uh, I know you love that movie, and, you know, when he's a little older, I'll have to show him, you know, Evil Dead and all that good stuff. But one scene made me think of you in particular. I know you're a big Prince fan, and like me, your your favorite album is Sign of the Times. But I love the part where they're throwing the records at the zombies' heads, and they're going through. They're like, uh, Purple Rain? No. Sign of the Times? No. Batman? Yeah, throw it. <laughs> I uh, particularly thought that scene was so good. But uh, he loved it and wanted to let you know uh, we've got a young uh, – horror and comedy fan uh, in our house right here. So keep up the great work, Nick, and uh, can't wait to hear more. Take care. Thank you, Pete. Let me just say this. Father of the year, ladies and gentlemen, although I would have shown him the uncut version. I'd have gone straight to the R-rated version. Of course, you are talking to a person who saw The Exorcist at 8 in the theater, and his dad took him to see it. 
<laughs> Pete, that's fantastic. Uh, great, uh, great parenting right there. And uh, yes, I love Shaun of the Dead, one of my favorite movies of all time. And I also love, uh, I also love Prince. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much uh, for listening and subscribing and being a fan. I really appreciate it. Any feedback, any fun feedback like that, that's what we encourage. And it is awesome. All right, let's, uh, let's get to it. One of the greatest uh, songwriters, singers, artists, writers, humans on the planet. One of my favorite people in the world who I kind of stalked in the 80s and into the mid-90s for a while. Kind of. <laughs> I'll let her know about that uh, as we speak to Suzanne Vega. But first, let's say congratulations. And then uh, right after uh, we say congratulations, you'll hear the wonderful voice of Suzanne Vega. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackal. New York is where I will be from. New York is made for grander things just like me. And that is uh, the one, the only Suzanne Vega. Um, and that is from her album Lover Beloved Songs from an Evening with Carson McCullers, which uh, started out as a college thesis, turned into a one woman show, a right. piece of theater. And uh, then turned and then turned into a movie, and uh, uh, you can hear her voice already. And I'm incredibly excited to uh, welcome to the uh, podcast my one of my favorite people in the world, Suzanne Vega. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, Nick. Hi. How are you? For those people who uh, have not been with us for the past 20 minutes in the real world, we've been trying to <laughs> technically hook up, and we've not been having. It's been fun hearing your voice a little bit, then hearing my voice, and then not connecting, and then you know, texting with your publicist back and forth saying, well, let's try this. So it's not been, technically we've had some mumbo jumbo, but we're here. Yeah. We can, and it hasn't been easy. Yes. But we're here, we're here now in the same space. So yes, yes. So that's great. Uh, yep. I can't uh, express enough how, uh, how just really pleased I am that you have taken the time to be a part of my podcast. Um, Cause I have been a ridiculous fan of yours since your first album came out in 85. Um, Thank to the you. point to the point where like in the late 80s and the 90s my friends would say she's going to get a restraining order um it's it's not it's <laughs> um so uh i traveled to new york several times specifically just to see you and uh because that's the place to see you i've always thought and so i'm thrilled to have you on um so Wow, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, let's first of all, uh, before we get into, and I definitely one of the things I, one of the major things that I want to talk about with you is Lover Beloved, um, the film, which um, I cover movies and review them here on this podcast. And I have been a film critic for many, many years. And in addition to being a, a lover of music, um, and we talk about my friends and I, the, we talk about South by Southwest and other film festivals, and I reviewed it. And I saw it for, for, for coverage of that. And I was incredibly impressed. But before we jump into that, um, your Midwest tour, how did that go overall? Your two nights in Chicago, I went to, to both of them in, in Chicago and in Evanston, and they were fantastic. What was it like being back out on the road again? It was so great. Um, 
it's something that I had longed for while I was at home through the pandemic. Um, I really enjoy touring and uh, being home for two years sort of uh, put a cramp in my style a little, you know, I had to sort of work my way back to being on tour. Um, but yeah, I loved it. The Midwest tour went great. I think we were well received every, everywhere we went. Uh, and we, we were out for two and a half weeks and it was great. And, uh, so it, it, tell me a little bit about what you did during the pandemic. Now, the, the tour that you were on was delayed and this was for the, the New York, the, the, the New York album that you recorded at the Carlisle, um, which got delayed. Tell me a little bit about that. We recorded uh, New York Songs and Stories in the spring of 2019. We were planning to release it in May of 2020. Uh, obviously, we couldn't do that because the world had closed down um, in March of 2020. So instead, it came out in September of 2020. Uh, we did a live stream then to promote it. Um, but we didn't, weren't able to tour to, to promote it. So, but we had all these dates that were on the calendar. So mm -hmm. what I've been doing pretty much since last fall is touring and trying to catch up with those dates that have been on the calendar. And, uh, have you, so you did the Midwest now, I know that you're next, you're, you're actually going to the UK and you're going to Europe for pretty much the whole summer, correct? Yeah, six weeks. Um, we did 10 days of the UK and one date in France back in February. We did 10 dates there, and that was awesome. It was so great. Um, so this one will be a test of our stamina and, you know, can we get through it without anybody catching COVID? And, um, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. But yeah. we're, we're essentially trying to clean up all of this. We're trying to do all the dates that have been on the calendar for years. Right. Uh, wow. That's it's it's it so. So how much did you miss? Because you said, you know, at both shows uh, uh, in Chicago, um, you talked about how great it was to be back in front of a live audience. Um, and it was I, I will say on my part, too, yours were the your two shows were the first two shows that I've seen live uh, in three years almost. And it was it really was amazing. It felt amazing to be back in that in that kind of area, you know. Yeah, a lot of people have said that to me, uh, and I'm very honored that people would break their safety uh, routines to come out and see the show. Um, I'm assuming that you're okay and you didn't get sick, and I haven't heard any <laughs> reports back from anybody getting sick at the shows. We we were fine, so you know I hope that that continues. Yeah, no, I, no, uh, no, I, uh, I I did not uh, get sick, um, and I yeah. had a great time, and uh, and I and I loved the shows. I thought uh, you did a, you did a great job with it, and um, I've you know I've seen you live so many times; it's ridiculous. Can I just mention that one of my favorite shows that I've ever seen in my life was I I, I saw you because you know seeing you in New York is special. Um, I want to say when you well, obviously you would know because you're the person to ask. Um, <laughs> 87, I want to say. Did you play Carnegie Hall in 87? I'm sure you've played it I more did. than once. That I, saw, I, I was played at, Carnegie Hall twice that year, yeah. That I was there for one of those shows. And it still remains, still remains one of my favorite shows ever because it was you and it was Carnegie Hall. Um, which was, and it was and saw, that moment in time. Yeah. It was, yes. And I saw you at Radio City and I saw you at The Beacon and other places because I'm a freak. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so can we go back? But not uh, the Ritz? No, the Ritz, no. I played the Ritz that year too. Uh, um, I, I played I played New York so many times that year and they all sold out, like two shows at Carnegie Hall, one at the Ritz, one at the Schubert Theater, 
and one at Radio City Music Hall and all of them sold out. It was an amazing year and we've never, you know, I mean, it was it was a real moment in time. Let's put it that way. I have to say, here's one of the things that I vividly remember about the Radio City Music Hall the weekend that I was there for that show. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, that was like Black Monday. Um, like Wall Street. Black Monday. Yeah, Wall Street oh, went oh, down wow. like in '87. Like it was the it was I was there when it happened, and your show was either right before that or right after. It was the time I was in New York, and uh, right when that when the '87 crash happened, <laughs> I just remember yeah. being in <laughs> in New York when it was happening. I have to say that that I was sort of in my own world at that moment in time, and uh, not having been a person who had a lot of investments or stocks or anything like that, I. It, it completely passed me by. I was completely unaware of it until I, I guess I saw something in the newspapers, but it didn't affect me so much the way later ones had, because by then I was a, a real adult, you know, with like <laughs> investments. <laughs> right, right. But no, back I, then I was just like, whoa. Yeah, no, me yeah. too. And me too. But it just so happens that, you know, the news and we were there. So we were like, my friend and I just jumped on the, on the subway and went down to Wall Street to, to and it was like a ghost town. Because we were just like, oh, we imagine. have, we're here. We may as well get onto Wall Street while while the world is ending for these guys and see what, and see how yeah. many people are jumping out of buildings. Uh, so, yeah. But but anyway, uh, always always special to see you uh, in New York. How what, what was it like to be someone who grew up, you know, in New York to play those places? I mean, how how crazy was that when you first broke in the in the in the eighties and you got to play these in, incredible places that you went to as a child? Uh, it was amazing. It was a lot of pressure. Um, but on the other hand, there was this wave of success that was sort of uh, buoying us all up in this tide of I don't know what. Um, I mean, so uh, so I just tried to focus on my show and mm -hmm. on my health, you know, getting get, just singing well, playing well, making sure I had something to wear that was cool or interesting. Um, you know, that's what I was focusing on. Yeah. Uh, and there was a wonderful feeling of celebration for the most part. But also because it was my hometown, there was a bit of pressure because it's family and, and all that sort of thing. So, right. um, uh, but yeah, I, I remember it all for the most part with fondness. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could so the, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, quickly, how'd the first album happen? Because um, I, I vividly remember listening to the first album. We have a radio station here in Chicago, WXRT, um, and they played the hell out of Marlena on the wall. Um, <laughs> and I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, wow, this is a great song. She's awesome. And I bought the record. And from the moment I put the needle down, uh, I was done. And I think it's the best debut album of all time. Quite, and, I'm, and, I, I, and I'm including Meet the Beatles, for God's sake. I, I think it's the best debut album of all time. How did you go from how did how did that album start and how did you how did that happen the first record? The first record had long roots. Um, it didn't take off right away. I had met my managers uh, Ron Fierstein and Steve Adabo in 1982, and they had basically made this proposal to me that they wanted to make this demo tape uh, and get me a record deal. Um, they felt that I could get a major label deal and that the right uh, label for me was A&M Records, which was kind of the smallest of the big labels. So they had a target in mind. Um, and we worked on that demo tape for years, probably two and a half years. It was rejected all over the place by all kinds of people, all including A&M, which rejected it twice. 
uh, we kept going back and working on this demo tape. I kept getting reviews in in various places. Um, so finally, I got a, a really terrific review in the New York Times from Stephen Holden, and that sort of clinched a development deal with A&M Records. So that was in 1984. Um, so once we got that, uh, we we made this we made the album. I knew that they were intending to sell. They had expected to sell thirty thousand copies of the album. Um, the very first week it came out, it sold seventeen thousand. So wow. I remember thinking, "Wow, I it sold like more than half of the expectation the first week." That's amazing. That really is something. And then, and then from there, uh, it, it all takes off from there. I, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I was just obsessed with the, with, with every album after that and everything up until now. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about seeing you live, uh, Suzanne is, uh, your incredible storytelling. I'm sure you hear this all the time. Um, and I tell people this all the time, uh, when you see Suzanne Vega, not only are you going to get amazing music and beautiful songs, um, but you're also going to get really great stories. Were you always a natural storyteller? And that was, was that always part of your gigs, even when you first started? I was not a good storyteller on stage. Um, in the very beginning, in fact, I didn't talk at all. Uh, I was very shy. I was about 16 when I started to go out and do uh, auditions. Um, and open mic nights and that sort of thing. And I really didn't get hired anywhere for several years, uh, for like four years, because I was awkward. I did my own material. Uh, they, I, you know, I had no mic technique, et cetera, et cetera. And I was very shy and very awkward. And sometimes I would feel uh, annoyed that people were looking at me expecting something. So this annoyance <laughs> would <laughs> radiate out of my personality, which of course is the wrong attitude uh, to have. <laughs> if you're going to stand on a stage, you've got to at least expect them to see you. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so I had to deal with all of that. Um, but I was given some good advice by the bass player, Richard Davis. And he said, you know, you, you, I, he invited me to play with him at the Tin Palace. And so I, uh, I played there and he said, you know, you want to talk to people when you perform. People like to be spoken to. And so I, I worked on that. And when I started to get gigs at Folk City, that's where I really had a chance to work on my show. And, you know, so I figured out what worked, you know, telling jokes didn't always work, telling like, uh, you know, weird one-offs or whatever that that didn't work so well. But a wait, story wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, song... I'm sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. You told jokes. You t <laughs> yeah. There were times where I can't even remember them now. Uh, what I like <laughs> jokes or like odd, uh, and I'm not a joke teller. You know, I'm not, and or just something to make the audience laugh. Yeah. But I did find that working on that, like telling, especially talking about what the song might be about, because the songs are kind of cryptic. Um, some of them, you know, yeah. uh, so I found that if I wanted to give a little context that that worked really well. And so it's something I've developed over the time of my career. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's an essential part of your, uh, of your shows. As far as I'm concerned, I love to hear you. I, I love to hear you talk as much as I love to hear your music. Um, thank you. And, yeah. And I, and I remember I went with, uh, I'm with a, a friend of mine to the old town school, show with an old buddy an old friend of mine and i hadn't seen her and we seriously hadn't seen each other in 30 years and one of the last times we saw was a, we saw each other was a show of yours so oh great we just kind of reunited and said let's go and you, you you launched into the story 
before you played Gypsy, and we both like looked at each other because that's one of our favorite story, one of our favorite stories ever. And uh, so uh, uh, you added more to it, and you did more to it. But I just I think you're an incredible storyteller, and you have a lot of like incredible presence on stage. Now, for someone who you said you know was struck by you know you were you were timid and and, and shy and annoyed, um, uh, then, but you've also turned out to be a great storyteller. And let's get to to the to the lover beloved. Let's get to the movie. Um, uh, sure. you're, you're tremendous in the movie, Suzanne. You're tremendous in it. Um, Thank you. And uh, so obviously you've clearly gotten over that stage fright <laughs> to the point where now, you know, you are acting. But you did, did you, didn't, did you not study theater back, like way back in the, back in the day? And I know that you went to, didn't you go to the fame school as well? Yeah, I went to the high school of performing arts as a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had tried to, once they found out I wrote songs, they tried to see if I could get a double major as a musician. And I'm sorry to tell you that I did so badly in the music classes that they just put me right back into the dance department. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> I am not a music, I'm not a technical musician. I can't read. Uh, I don't know theory and all of that stuff. So that's what they were trying to teach me at that time. Um, I was very, I was very happy as a dancer. You know, I, I uh, being nonverbal, um, that was what I wanted to do for a long time. Um, but I, I found that wasn't going to work because what made me want to dance was the music. So, um, so I, I had a bunch of songs by the time I was 18 and I decided to, to just start playing, uh, going out for auditions, as I said before, but mm-hmm. I did, um, I worked up my courage. I needed a work study job. So I ended up in the theater in the costume department. Um, I love costumes. I love clothing. And so I just, I did all the laundry. I did all the ironing and helped the designers uh, pull stuff from the stock of the costumes yeah. of the wardrobe. So, um, and I slowly worked up my courage to take a few of the acting courses and the acting classes. So the one that made the most impression on me was uh, musical ensemble theater with Shirley Kaplan you know, I was not really a musical theater kid. I never went to see musical theater uh, productions. They were way too cheerful for me. I just <laughs> wasn't really into it. Yeah. Uh, but she was a genius. I mean, she really got me out of myself. You know, she did all those things. Like she she threw a, a, a ball at me and made me run around the room singing my name and ba- made me catch this ball that she threw just to kind of get me out of my um, my shyness and my my inhibitions. Um, but I still, you know, I, I just had a lot of work to do in that department. Uh, and also the other thing, just because you can portray a character on stage doesn't mean that uh, you're not shy uh, yeah. or not uh, reserved. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's that you, once you, you, when I was doing Carson, it's really like I'm in my own world and I, yeah. I am as free as she is, you know? Yeah, no, I understand. I did, uh, I, I've written and directed, a uh, and been in a bunch of storefront theater here in Chicago. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Not everybody, yeah. not everybody who goes on stage is like, Hey, I'm an actor. Hey, I do, you know, everybody has a different <laughs> exactly. personality. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, and as a director, it's interesting to, to, you know, when you have like a cast of maybe like 12, 13 people, it's always interesting to, as a director, you have to kind of read each personality. Yeah, <laughs> because not everybody is the same. And that's exactly. And that's absolutely true. There are people who were, are stunningly shy. 
and who still kick ass on stage and are, are amazing. Yeah, and sometimes to watch someone overcome that shyness on stage is is interesting in and of itself. Yeah, uh, the extrovert is not always the one that you're drawn to because it's so easy for them. You know, they're the one in the middle of the stage making a lot of noise, and sometimes your eye is drawn to the other person. That that's usually the case for me as just an as as just a, a person who watches theater and a person who directs. I'm always like, I like the weirdo in the corner. I'm always yeah <laughs> drawn. I'm always drawn to the weirdo gotcha. in the corner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, l- l- let's go back. So as I mentioned before. This was a, um, a, a an undergrad thesis that you started. Tell me about your connection to uh, Carson McCullers when it began, and and how you connected with her work, and how you were were first turned on to it. Uh, it was for that class that I mentioned before. Uh, Shirley Kaplan said, "Okay, here's the assignment: come in tomorrow, dressed as someone in the arts who's no longer alive, be ready to field questions as though you're on a television show." Hmm. So I, I had seen a photograph of Carson McCullers. I'd seen her biography had just come out a few years before that. I saw the cover of the biography in a library somewhere where I used to love hanging out in libraries. Um, so I saw this book. I saw her photo. I thought to myself, if I ever need to play a character, I bet I could play that woman. Um, and I had read one or two of her stories. So I went back to the library, pull, took out the book, read it overnight, had a blazer of some kind and pulled my hair back in a facsimile of her, of her look, uh, went out and bought a pack of cigarettes and <laughs> came back ready, ready to do that role. Um, and it just took root. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved being her back then, especially because I was 19 at that point. And she was this heavy drinking, hard smoking, brilliant genius writer who was bisexual and free in her mind, if not in her body. Um, So she was uh, fascinating to play and to study. Um, And that fascination has remained there through every decade that, um, that I've been doing this. Yeah. And it's, and um, the the story, her story is a fascinating one and you explore it, uh, you know, obviously thoroughly and beautifully in the film and in the and in the show itself so how has it changed from you know the thesis and then eventually well well, here's the next question i have is that you 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 collaborated with duncan sheik um who people would remember from the 90s uh you know like uh, barely breathing um she runs away from that from that I fantastic album that he released in the mid nineties and then through that, but then he's become like this badass Broadway, you know, uh, yeah. composer like doing, you know, like uh spring awakening and American psycho and just all this stuff that like, I, you know, I remember seeing his names cause I follow, obviously I follow, you know, Broadway musicals and stuff because of the theater background. And I'm like, is that the same guy who did barely breathing in the, yeah. <laughs> in the nineties? How did yeah. you hook? How did you hook up with him? And he's he's so like multi talented. How did that happen? He is hugely multi talented. Um, as it happens, we're both practicing Buddhists, um, ah. and he used to practice in the same group as my mother. And my mother used to tell me about him. There's this really talented guy named Duncan Sheik. He's so talented. I don't know how she knew he was talented, but he, she was also he's also really cute. Um, uh, and so, uh, so she's like, you should keep an eye on him. And at one point, he I think before he had barely breathing, he opened for me somewhere in the Midwest, and he made an impression on me because of his confidence. 
you know, he came with like a whole bunch of musicians he, and, uh, and he set them up on stage and he had all these instruments. It wasn't your usual opening act. Um, so I remember I never forgot that. And then of course we all watched, first of all, there was Barely Breathing, which I loved, loved, yeah. loved. Yep. Um, and then there was, then after that, we all saw what happened with Spring Awakening and mm. he became this genius guy. Um, mm. So the director that I was working with back in 2010 suggested that perhaps I might want to work with him. Um, and so I approached him and to my surprise, he said, yeah, I'd love to. And we started working together right away. It was thrilling. It was absolutely thrilling to work with him on these songs. Uh, you know, because he had so many melodic ideas and he would really push me to go beyond my usual range. Uh, a song like New York is My Destination, you know, it has these high notes. The song Anne Marie has these high notes uh, that I ended up singing. Um, and it, it's just been great working with him. Now, was this the first time that you've had any kind of collaboration like that? I know you've collaborated before in the past, obviously, with producers and other musicians and things like that. But creating something um, from something that you were so, you know, fond of, was this the first time you've ever had that level of, of, of collaboration? No. Uh, when I was back in college, I did I wrote five songs back then. Um, and I worked with a pianist back then. I worked for the pianist for the class. So we worked together in a very similar way. Um, I would have a melody and he'd play something underneath it, or he'd have a little tune and I'd do something over it. Uh, and I've done that before with almost all of my producers, except maybe, uh, except maybe the first album. I think I did all of those songs myself, mm -hmm. but uh, I think I've collaborated pretty much on uh for one at least one or two songs on every album yeah and i by the way i've seen footage uh online of of you and uh and duncan performing barely breathing and it's just fantastic to see I, oh it's just it's <laughs> that's lovely. great thank yeah, you it's lovely it's great but i but i just think it's great and, and and i also love the story that you tell about how uh the one of the one of the sort of nastiest lines in the store in the in one of your songs is the 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 uh the mockingbird killing line oh <laughs> Yes, yes. Is provided. Yes, that, that's by Duncan Sheik. I mean, he just came up with it um, so casually. He just said, I'd like to kill more than just that mockingbird. And yeah. I thought, wow, that's brilliant. And I put it in. Of course, that's the, the line that gets the biggest laugh. Yeah. Uh, but most of the other lines in that song, Harper Lee, are verbatim. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. They're verbatim or they're, uh, or I've changed them slightly so they would rhyme. But most of them are taken. She really did say, I have more to say than Hemingway. And Lord knows, compared to Faulkner, I say it in a better way. I mean, she did. <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, she, uh, she was so, uh, a braggart in some ways. So, so for people who might not know who Carson McCullers is, a brief sort of uh, uh, thing. You mentioned uh, a little bit about her, but she, she had, had written some, some uh, great books and stories and plays and things like that. Um, and she was sort of a revolutionary uh, in, in that regard and in, for that time period, for sure. Sure. Yeah. Her first book came out in 1940. It's called The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Um, similar in some ways to um, To Kill a Mockingbird, but 23 years before. And of course, Carson is wildly idiosyncratic. Um, so the characters are... Uh, you know, you're not going to find them anywhere else. Uh, mm -hmm. Carson's characters are unique to her, her world. Mm 
Um, so she did that book. She did um, The Member of the Wedding, which was a high school classic for many years and was also a play and is was also a great movie. Uh, she, and the other classic novel that she wrote was The, uh, the Ballad of the Sad Cafe, right. which, of course, has her theory of love, which is sort of what she's known for. I mean, it's not a very happy theory of love. She wrote it when she was 24, and she was divorcing her husband at the time. So um, she never quite got that part of her life to really work. You know, she was never personally happy. And the the... the interpretation that you do is based upon two talks that she did correct no actually she only gave one talk at the 92nd street y yeah so those the two i created two fictional talks okay to give it a a, an arc you know the first one is at the height of her fame uh she's trying to redeem herself because her second novel was very badly received and everybody was really freaking out. I mean, just nine months before she had been hailed as this genius. And then she came out with reflections in a golden eye, which completely freaked everybody out. Mm. I mean, they did a, 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 an excerpt of it in Harper's Bazaar and people canceled their subscriptions. Oh, wow. Um, it, it's one of the, the freakiest pieces of writing, even to this day. Um, she was quite uninhibited. It, it was something she had written for herself for play, as she put it. And it's pretty, it's pretty out there. This is before Nelson Algren and, and all those guys, yeah. uh, you know, for, who did uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn and, right. and that sort of writing. This is way before that. And she's a young woman. Um, so so she I put her there for for the drama of it. And then I had her revisit the 92nd Street Y 25 years later so we could do a recap of her life. Um, so those are devices that I okay, created. Okay. Well, I've not. I, I didn't have a chance to see it uh, uh, on on stage. Um, uh, well, you never came to Chicago with it, uh, correct? No. No, no. It's been difficult to get traction. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the, the film. Way. It's now a film, um, and it is yeah. a, it, it is a, it is a terrific movie, uh, Suzanne. And I have to ask you, you know, in performing it back in the you know back in the day when you were doing it on stage, you know, uh, years ago, and then making the film. Uh, the the big question I have is this: You're really terrific in the movie, and you do play you do play Carson beautifully, and you have a wonderful accent. And it's clearly this person is not you. Um, yeah. And and you know one of the distinctive things about you, uh, and as a fan of your such a huge fan of your music, is that you have a very distinctive voice. And I don't just don't mean your voice that we hear. I mean your voice that you write with and that your and your mind. It's very mm-hmm. very specific. So what was it like to? enter you know to sing songs that were not in your voice um not just in your mind but also like you you sing with a southern accent you sing with her cadence which is not Uh yours and which is not yours and what was that like for you it's so much fun i can't even tell you uh and it's a great relief also to be this other person um because as i said she was free in her mind and in her attitudes you know, if not in her body, she was quite severely disabled. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I just feel a great joy and, and sense of fun in in singing in in her voice, in her southern accent, in the in her bragging and her lying. Uh, you know, she's very endearing to me. So uh, mm-hmm. I I love it. I have a lot of I have a lot of fun. You know, what's amazing about it is that you all of that stuff 
is rings true and you play the character beautifully and you sing in that way. And yet I still know it's you. And I think the fans, obviously, even when we hear it, we go, yeah, that's Suzanne. Even though she's playing this character, there's, there's no denying because you have such a distinctive, you know, tone and a, such a distinctive voice. Um, uh, and yet, you know, you, you swallow up that character whole. It's just, it's, it was a beauty. It was a beautiful thing to behold when I watched the show, when I watched the movie, Thank it really you. was. I, I was really happy with your review. I must say, I, I had been hoping that there was at least one person who would connect with the film. By the way, I just want to clarify something. The film is a film of the play that debuted at the Alley Theater in 2018. Right. So it's it's not the version, it's not Carson McCullers Talks About Love, which was the one in New York in 2010. Mm-hmm. So um, I had redone the whole play. So it was rel- this is a relatively recent uh, redoing of the play. Right. Um, so I, if I had done it, I filmed this play, I filmed the film in the fall of 2019, right before the pandemic. Right before the so. pandemic. L- let me ask you, how did you, how did you hook up with Michael Tully who I'm a, I, I happen to be like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a weirdo horror film freak. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he directed a really terrific horror movie that I, that I was very fond of. And, and uh, I didn't know he had directed it when I looked up after I watched Lover Beloved, I was looking up the credits to see who the director was. And then I looked back and I was like, Oh, I like that little horror movie that he made a few years back. <laughs> how did, how did, how did Michael Tully come to direct your, your, your movie? Um, I hooked up with the whole production team, including Michael Tully, through Lewis Black, not the comedian, but the <laughs> okay. the, uh, the founder of the Austin Chronicle and one of the founders of South by Southwest. Yeah. Um, he and I have been friends for a long time, and he saw the play. He saw the play uh, when I did it in 2018 in Austin, Texas, at the Alley Theater. So uh, he. I had told him I'd had a fantasy that I wished I could make a, just a quick edgy film of the play just for posterity. He looked at me and said, I would back that. And he encouraged me to do this film. And so he put that, put together this whole team, including Michael Tully. And I came down and we just pounced on it. Uh, yeah. We did it quickly. We did it cheaply. And, and, and that, that was it. Well, uh, it's it's you should be really proud of it, Suzanne. You're great in it, and it's it's wonderful. And as a person who I was familiar, obviously, with her work, but I didn't know the person, I didn't know her, I didn't know her history. So not only was I entertained by it, but I had already loved the album. I had the album, you know, for four years by the time I saw it, five years before by the time I saw the the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I learned a lot about her, and uh, I, you know, so as someone who who didn't know much about her, I learned a lot and was really taken by by her and her character, and then went out and read more of her. Stuff after, um, cool. Which is, I think, the point. So uh, let me tell you a little anecdote. Um, yes. The day, the, the day that we had the uh, premiere, uh, I was relieved. I mean, it, it's always like um, somewhat uh, traumatic to to see it. I, w- I saw it on the big screen, and thankfully, I was I was relieved um, at at how it all went. But that night, I was at a, a party at um, an outdoor party, and this elderly couple came up to me and they said, we saw your film this morning. And I said, oh, okay. And they said to me, we don't know anything about you, but we love Carson. (laughs) And we've always loved Carson. And today is a special day for us because you brought her to life and we feel like we've seen her. And we just want to thank you for that. And then they went off. And I was so happy. Oh, that's (laughs) amazing. 
that's got to be really, I mean, that's got to be everything, right? I mean, that's it. Was it was everything. It brought tears to my eyes. I was like, I just, it was, because the way they started, we don't know anything about you. Uh, and I was like, great. I think that's great. Suzanne and, who? Luca, yeah, Luca like, what? What's, the, a, what's a... this woman? Yeah. yeah, we don't know anything about her, but we love Carson. And so uh, that really made, that, that I still, I mean, I'm thrilled. I mean, that's yeah. what I want. That's what I would like. And so anybody is... who sees the film has got to know it isn't me. I'm not doing, that is not me up there. That is Carson. No, um, it's not. So yeah. yeah, it's clearly not. You don't smoke, do you, Suzanne? Uh, I don't. I did okay. for a little. I mean, I sort of experimented for a while back in when I was in college. You yeah. know, I think maybe having to play Carson sort of spurred me on. And yeah. I think I smoked a pack and then felt sick as a dog. So I said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, I, I think everybody experiments a little bit. And, you know, like I, I was saying before, I've done theater. And uh, so I started smoking in a play that I was acting in that I co-directed. Um, yeah. and I started smoking cause I thought the character would smoke, even though I co-wrote it and the character was based on me and I didn't smoke, but I thought, okay, <laughs> because the, <laughs> the character right. that I was playing the character that I was playing wanted to be a writer. So I thought, well, you know, I got to smoke. I have to. Right. And then you start drinking gin martinis because the character <laughs> would do that. And then, yeah. The next know. thing you know, you're in rehab and uh, because right. of a, a storefront theater play that you got no money for. That's grand fantastic. Right, exactly. So, um, so the tour continues uh, in the UK. You love going back to the UK, right? Europe, uh, you're, you know, you, they, you have a huge following over there, right? Yeah, uh, I do great there, and I love being there. Uh, we're going back to the UK, but not just the UK. We're going all over. We're going to Germany. We're going to France. Uh, we're going to Belgium several times. Uh, yeah, so that's just for the summer. Um, is it the strip uh, down? Is it the strip down thing, or do you have a full band for this yeah. tour? No, no, it's still me and Jerry on you and Jerry. guitar. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the same sh- that same show. I mean, and we change it up often to suit ourselves and amuse ourselves and amuse the audience. Um, he's very versatile in terms of what I can throw at him, uh, mm-hmm. and he welcomes it. So it, we change the show often, you, uh, but you know, it's me and him. Yeah, you guys have a wonderful rapport on stage, and I love uh, like the guy's got so his. I don't know uh, how many pedals or effects the guy has uh, down there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't either, but, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but it's amazing how he can become a band up there, you know, and and just do that. Like when you guys do Tom's Diner, it's like a dance party. Uh, it is. It's, it's a dance party. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, I have a good time with that, and so yeah. does the audience. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, it's 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 uh, it was it was great seeing you uh, in that, and I'm, I'm and I'm glad that you uh, are back out on the road. Can I ask you about one specific song? Sure. Okay. Um, I have, I had a, I had a pretty rough week, uh, a rough week. I had a pretty rough couple of years, uh, a couple of years ago, like right in the middle of the pandemic, I got fired from a, a radio station that I was a talk show host at for, I was a part of the radio station for 35 years. And, uh, and then out of nowhere I got canned and it went through, I went through a real dark, bad time. Um, yeah. and your music, uh, uh, got me through a lot, like, a dark period of time and i and, and, and you, you know one of the one of my go-tos whenever i'm i need something is your music and i don't mean to sound like a jackass or anything but that's that's the truth um and there's a song in particular that was that for some reason resonated with me during that time and got me through a lot of it because i wasn't working and i was feeling like a just like useless and everything and i started to hear your music but can i can i ask about uh what inspired you to write uh, uh tired of sleeping um 
Oh, tired of sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's a, it's for me. And obviously people interpret songs their own way. And I have a personal connection to it during that period of my, of, of my life, that dark period. For some reason it, it was apropos of where my mind was. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, but where, tell me about the writing of, of tired of sleeping for very selfish reasons. Cause I'm a, you know, I want to hear about it. Yeah, sure. Um, that was a weird time for me too. Um, the success of Solitude Standing had sort of brought a lot of things up to the surface. Um, so after that, I was exhausted and I spent a lot of time sleeping, to be honest. Uh, mm. I was trying to take care of my health and, and I was having really weird dreams, some of them very disturbing. And I'd, I had had that before. I had all through my 20s, I had terrible nightmares um, uh, of various types. And I started to write about it um, a bit. And so somehow in the in this song, I'm sort of trying to reassure my mother that everything really is okay. Um, you know, uh, even though it's an ironic song, because obviously you can see by the content of the dreams that everything is not okay. Yeah. Uh, that things are dire, things are really weird. Things are, um, they're surreal and they're distorted uh and but there's this sense of trying to make it right um and to be honest uh, i it's a song that i just went with it's, there are some songs i just do that with i don't uh have a it's not like i have a theme or a, a message yeah. or yeah. Be beforehand i just sort of wade in there and i work from the images themselves and sometimes directly from the dream so the whole thing about the clean quilted heart uh yeah. there was some question as to whether the word was quilt or guilt um mm -hmm. and so it was a play on words there and uh and i just i just went with it i sort of put it in the form that i could find and then left it there um and it's a very uh it's a song that even now sometimes it touches me in a way or i feel i feel tears when i yeah. sing it or when i think of it um, so I can't describe it really any better than that, but it's sort of like trying to reassure my mother, you know, uh, or that, that things will be okay. Uh, even though I myself was not sure they were going to be. Um, okay. I'm kind of losing it right yeah. now, Suzanne, because that's exactly how I was feeling at the time. <laughs> exactly how I yeah. was feeling at the time. <sighs> okay. Anyway, thank you for that song uh, and, and yeah, help sure. and, and getting me through that. It was just amazing. Um, and uh, so, so you're going on tour. People can go to SuzanneVega.com. Uh, you have a newsletter and um, and the tour, the UK and Europe tour, um, and uh, the close up series. By the way, I want to mention the close up series, the vinyl that's out now. Or can people still get that? Because it's beautiful. That it's beautiful. oh, thanks. Yeah, there's a few copies here and there. If you go to like uh, Amazon and France, um, there's a couple there or just Amazon in general. Um, it's sold out most places, but you can still find it in corners of the Internet. You should look look for it in the corners of the Internet because it's really amazing stuff. And I love what you did and how you organized and, and grouped the songs together uh, with the different themes and everything. It's really great. So thanks. Um, yeah. And despite the all the technical issues that we had. Um, you know, yeah. set, setting this whole thing up. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah. It's been it's been a dream to talk to you. Seriously, uh, I met you a couple of times years and years ago, briefly back. Um, you know, when you were touring, and um, uh, you actually came uh, to WGN Radio, the, the station that I got fired from a couple of years ago. Um, 
to do a Kathy and Judy's show. They were uh, two women who hosted a show, and uh, you came in, and I was sitting in on the interview for that, but that was like back in the early 90s. Um, but I, but I have had the chance to meet you and I met you in, in Evanston briefly just a couple of weeks ago, yes. which was, which was, yes, that's nice. right. So, yeah, it was um, great. It was terrific. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I just wanted to say that now, so the, the movie, uh, Lover Beloved, what's the, the next step? Um, uh, are, are we the looking at step. streaming services? Are we looking to get it in theaters and stuff like that? It's both. Um, we're looking, there's the possibility of a distribution deal. Uh, the agent who's working on that feels really strongly that it's a film that should be seen in theaters. Yeah. Uh, it should be like a, uh, and I agree because of the, the theatrical nature of the film. It's really yep. a film of a play. Um, and so it, it made all the difference in the world to see it on the big screen as opposed to on my phone. Um, <laughs> it really, yeah. it made it was yeah. a huge difference. Yeah. So I think we're looking to, to have a direct, um, distribution deal that will go to theaters and also be download available at the same time. That's the idea. Okay. So I don't know anything more than that right now. I don't know the technicalities of it, but that's in the works. Well, so, any, uh, yeah. anything I can do uh, to help out with a showing here in Chicago, Suzanne, I told you about this movie theater um, called the music box um, here yeah. in Chicago. And it is the absolute perfect venue for Lover Beloved. Um, and uh, we just had, uh, the, just it just ended last night, a, a, a seven-night Chicago Film Critics Festival where all oh. the critics in Chicago programmed uh, a bunch of films um, and showed them. And they just had a, a wonderful week of that. And it was all hosted at the Music Box. Um, and I think it would be a perfect venue for uh, Lover Beloved. And, uh, and, it, and, and if you were to see the theater, Suzanne, if you ever came to Chicago, came back to Chicago and you went to the music box, you would walk in because it's one of those old, beautiful movie palaces that's been around since the 20s. Oh, wow. Um, and it's huge. Yeah, and it's, it. it's got the stars, the twinkling stars on the ceiling. And it's, you know, it's one of those beautiful, old, beautiful theaters. And um, it, it is picture perfect to, to show the film. And uh, I will do whatever I can. Wow, I, have a lot, I, have, I have connections there. And I will do whatever Great. I can. To, I will do whatever I can to get the the movie shown there and 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 work with your people on it. Just it needs to be seen on the big screen. It's beautiful work, um, and um, and and I want people to see it. So and and that's great. Yeah. So we'll get it. We'll get it. We'll so, get it shown uh, yeah, at the I'm music just, box. I'm just waiting basically for the word that says go go forth and spread this around, and then I'll do that. Um, so I don't know, uh, you know, we're still working on what that mechanism is. I know it's, I know that they have it in place. Mm-hmm. I think they had done this with, uh, the, the Truman and Tennessee film. Uh, there was a film out a couple a year or two yeah. ago about Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams and their friendship. Um, so this might go that route. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm really excited and I, I will certainly let you know when, please when do. Yeah. Uh, and it, people keep a lookout for it. It's called Lover Beloved. And if it shows up on your streaming service or in the movie theater or the music box here in Chicago, definitely see it. Uh, and An Evening of New York uh, Songs and Stories is out. People can get that. That's your latest uh, latest work, and that's what you're touring uh, in, in support of. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, It's been amazing talking to you, uh, Suzanne. I've, uh, you know, like I said, I've been a big fan since the first time I heard you in 1985. And, uh, and just I've loved you ever since. So. 
Thank you, Nick. Okay. All right. Uh, this is Suzanne Vega and uh, check out SuzanneVega.com. Uh, you can get the newsletter and check out all the uh, uh, latest information on what's happening with Suzanne. I really appreciate you doing this, Suzanne, and I will, uh, I will uh, talk to you sometime soon. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank okay. you. All right. There you go. Uh, my thanks to uh, Suzanne. Suzanne Vega. Uh, boy, what a thrill. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, and I am just unbelievably thrilled that, uh, that she stopped by. She's the best. And again, uh, the movie is called uh, Lover Beloved. Um, and at some point, it'll be available streaming and uh, it'll be in theaters at some point, And we'll get it to play at the music box here. But my thanks to the great Suzanne Vega. She's the best. SuzanneVega.com for newsletter, tour info, and all that, everything else that happens. And that was, that boy, that was great. Hey, you know who else is great is Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. funky sounds of the skags uh, esmeralda leon hi esmeralda how are you hi i'm doing good all right cool hey you know who i just talked to who suzanne vega she just showed up she was she just rolled in oh. like hey she was Oh, wait a minute. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, oh, and I, I love oh, it's Carrie. Nick's show. It's Carrie Russell. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, I know. and Carrie, I, I know. love Nick's show. She's a little jealous. Uh, yeah, no, I could understand. She heard it. Yep, she heard me she talking heard the to, conversation. to Suzanne, and she was very upset. She was banging on the back door trying to get in here the whole Dang. time. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if it's gonna be right. it's gonna be very difficult when my dad when my dad shows up to tell the joke. It's gonna be very difficult to get past Carrie because she's in a really pissy mood because of my my talk with Suzanne. <laughs> How is Suzanne? Oh my God, Esmeralda. Um, yeah, she's the best. I just I've uh, I've loved her since 1985, so it's been a really long time. Yeah. No. Well, that's. I mean. If you do good work, people will stick with you. Yeah, and that's Suzanne Vega. She's the best man, and it was a, it was amazing. It was just great. Um, we had some technical man snafus that obviously didn't make it to air here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but connecting together, uh, Suzanne and I trying to connect, um, like some her, on her end, the technical stuff was getting all goofy. On my end, there was something the connection wasn't good. Her PR people were texting me. I was texting back and forth with the PR people going, can she hear me? No, she can't. I can't hear her, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, uh, and it ate up a lot of time. For people, you know, who don't know, like, when you when you book somebody like Suzanne Vega, you have a limited amount of time with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're busy. They got stuff to busy. do. They're busy. You know, like, you're my friend. We can go, hey, I can call you and go, hey, we're going to run a little late today. Is that yeah. cool? And I'm like, just yeah. here. And I can... <laughs> And like Susan I can, Vega's like doing stuff. She's busy. <laughs> yeah. And I can call Eric and I can call Steve and go, hey, movie dudes, 
we're going to be about 20 minutes late. Is that cool? And they go, yeah. And, you know, like uh, Feinberg, who's out in L.A., you know, writes for The Hollywood Reporter. He's, These are friends of mine. They're all professionals. They're all awesome. And they are great guests and make this podcast great. You're the best part of the podcast, by the way. Oh. And being flexible is awesome. But when you have somebody like Suzanne Vega, you have to go by their schedule. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so I had her for an hour. I had her for an hour. And I wanted to use up that whole time. To interview her, I wanted that entire hour to be, I wanted two minutes of it to be set up and 58 minutes of it to be me talking with her to play on the podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so 25 minutes of technical difficulties and I was like, damn it. And I thought I would live, but she ended up staying past the time that was allotted. So, which I thought was very kind of her. Yeah. So it was great. It was, it was really great. And you know, you know, we, we've contacted each other since then and and once lover beloved comes out like she'll be back on the podcast again nice. and she had a good time and all that stuff and she's friends with me on the facebook and when we publicize stuff on facebook she links me up she likes it she t- you know she tags me as well it's just weird <laughs> like I, I look at that stuff and like i'll look at my comments and suzanne vega liked your comments and even stuff that's not about her she's like looking at my page now on facebook and liking stuff and it never fails to make me freak out like i'm like oh you know like oh suzanne vega liked this this post you know yeah no it's um (laughs) it's very exciting when yeah you meet people that you really look up to or that or yeah celebrity that you just do not expect to ever yeah talk to or know or whatever and then like they talk to you like a human and you're just like what i know (laughs) do you have you ever like met some of your some people that you really like you know, like heroes of yours, have you ever got to like, you know, because you were you were in the radio business for quite a while and, and you yeah. had some you had some people cross your path. You had some people cross your paths, like probably when you were working with no pants Brandmeier. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> even just um, so in my in my professional uh, workings at The Loop and, and Q101, I mean, I got to meet and I had met him before in a in a very like, hi. I like you, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is James Van Osdall. Oh, sure, um, yeah. Because <clears throat> I grew up listening to him. Yeah. I grew up listening to him, and I, like, really looked up to him in terms of, like, that is, I would love to work in radio and, like, do what you do. Like, you are there, and you're, like, this presence and whatever. And I got to meet him at, like, some thing. My friend's sister whatever worked for Disney, which was, they owned, he was, I believe it was the zone at the time he was at the zone yeah and i got to meet him and i was just like and then like eventually when i started working in actual radio i got to he was then a colleague yeah (laughs) it was so weird because isn't it weird hi and then i mean then he 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 used to fill in on my show on gn yeah so Um, then yeah we were like straight up colleagues like where we were working together yeah really like he he weird you you he (laughs) threw traffic to you yeah (laughs) it was always just like so weird to me because i'm just like i used to listen to you and i like go up to you and this and that and it's just crazy that i now work with you and like we are kind of equals (laughs) yeah no 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 and and uh the same thing dan chagru produced my show for a long time he also was a big james van Ostel fan and when you know like i i took a couple of nights off and james was doing fill-ins at gn you guys were both beside yourself it was like thank god thank god that jag off nick's off tonight we can actually talk with somebody we like (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, we had him. We had him on our uh, the podcast for you, me, them, everybody, the the live talk show, and like me and Brandon, the host, yeah. were like geeking out because, well, like, yeah, we're like James Van Ostel's on our show. Uh, he has invited <laughs> me uh, to be on Car Con Carne, um, his podcast. Nice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. Yeah, J- James James and I, uh, uh, you know, we've 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 spoken, and he's a great colleague. Yeah, it's weird when like people that you know you've idolized or met you know become like i like i still couldn't get over the fact that like you know when i was working at gn like one of the true highlights of when i was doing overnights at at gn was the incredible and sheer magnitude of joy that i felt every morning that orion samuelson would walk into my studio and do my god and do the business report like i was like every morning i'd be like i cannot believe that i every day of the week i get to do 15 minutes of radio with orion samuelson you know it's yeah like living legend (laughs) yeah i mean you're you're talking to him we're like we're just schmoes like hi like i i i i used to hang out with roy leonard you know what i mean like at his yeah. house, like I've eaten, <laughs> I ate dinner and would be invited to Roy Leonard. Like I knew Roy, like he was a friend. And if you would have told like 14 year old me that years later I'd be hanging out with Roy Leonard and he would not only be a friend and a colleague, but I'd be on the same radio station as him. I'd say, get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. But, yeah. It'd be so. like, that's insane. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and, and that's happened, you know, it's, it's happened, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I've been really lucky in that regard. Like I, I'm friends with the cast of Phantasm. This is a movie that I saw when I was, you know, 14 years old and it changed my life. And I'm now, I can call the star. I've got Michael Baldwin's phone number. I can hang out with Don Coscarelli, <laughs> uh, Tom Green. I have Tom Green's phone number. On my, you know, so I've gotten because of the the privilege of being, you know, in the job that I had at GN and now, you know, working yeah. with it, I've been able to meet a lot of people. And and this the whole Suzanne Vega thing ranks way near the top of like people that I love and heroes and people that I really admire. And, and I've got to talk to them and then like stay connected in some way. So that's it's pretty yeah. great. That's one of the reasons why you know I don't get paid for this job, but <laughs> but it's, that that's payment enough for a while, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can't I can't buy a dozen eggs with that, but I can uh but I can be very happy. So um yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool though. James Van Osdell. Yeah. You know you what you should you should you and I should do that. Let's do the let's do that together. Let's do the let's do his podcast oh together. <laughs> what do you think? Let's do it. Does he does he let you pick where he goes? Um I now I from what I understand, like the car thing well obviously he wasn't doing it for a long time because of COVID. And oh, I right. think yes. I think he's starting to get back to that, but you can appear. You don't have to go into a car. You don't have to go. You can just you know he can be at your he he you know he he can do the podcast like we do ours. We can do it. I know, but the fun bit is that they're in the car eating food. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'd love to do I'm that. Like, I, I'm not sure where that stands <laughs> in terms of just like safety in terms of COVID and shit. Right. So yeah. I'm not sure where that stands, but I'd love to do that. Get in the car and go, you know, like if we you know, like pick a place, you know what I would pick? You know what? You know what? Definitely. Here's here's the, the one that I would pick for that. If we were going to go eat. What's that? You ever been to Ruffle, Russell uh, Russell's barbecue on Thatcher Road? No. Oh, God. Not at all. You never heard of it, right? <laughs> no. It's so goddamn good. Look, you look it up. Russell's barbecue. Russell's it's been there barbecue. for at Russell's Barbecue. It's on Thatcher, and I can't remember what. In Elmwood Park. Elmwood Park. That's it. Um, 
I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. The sandwiches, the barbecue sauce, you can get the barbecue sauce to come home. It's a vinegar-based barbecue sauce, not a, not a sweet one. Mm-hmm. But it's a very thin vinegar-based barbecue sauce. And I grew up on that. Oh, there's two. There's oh, one in Elmwood Park and one in Countryside. I've never been to the one in Countryside. One in Elmwood Park I grew up going to on Thatcher. Yeah. You grew up there. Oh, wow. They've been around for Forever. a long time. Yeah. yeah no, for, they were I'm founded talking, in 1930. Yeah. And that same location. There's benches outside. It's old school. It is old school. Now, and I think, I think James would, you would love it. go to Kittyland? I used to go to Kittyland constantly when I was a kid, yeah. They, no, whole, in their little story, they say that a trip to Kittyland wasn't complete without a lunch yep. or dinner to follow a Russell's. <laughs> absolutely true. No, absolutely true. Um, and I haven't been there in a long time, and, and uh, but but that would be the place that I would I would say, hey James, you want to go someplace cool? Let's go oh, to Russell's. See? Well, there you go. And then like you, me, in the car eating some Russell's barbecue on on eating barbecue, eating Russell's on James's spilling barbecue on his on his seats. his interior, screwing <laughs> up everything. Touching all the buttons with our barbecue sauce hands, you know. Or or you you lick off the barbecue and then you touch them. <laughs> I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> I don't know, man, but that's just uh, that's a virus waiting to happen right there. But I no. just love like this is the this is our uh, hey, let us on your show. Yeah. Cover your How about a pi- I'm gonna pi- I'm gonna pitch that to Van Ostel, man. I'm gonna do that. He'll like, love it. He'll be like, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pitch it to him. Let's let's say me and Esmeralda, <laughs> me and Esmeralda, and you podcast Russells. That sounds like a plan to me. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway. I like it. Um, I'm excited to eat some Russells. Hey, you know uh, some people who lick their fingers and touch other things. That's a phobia to some people. Oh yeah. You see, you see how? Oh I no, segue? for sure. You yes, see the segue? You see the yeah. segue? This is why they gave me a, a plaque in the sidewalk that's in my kitchen. Now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so we're going to talk about some celebrities, celebrities suffer from phobias. And by the way, uh, we also are finishing up the vegetable hard candy mm, Yes, as part of our awful, weird flavored candy taste test that's we, we've been doing over the past few weeks. Yes. Um, we are going to do green bean hard candy mm-hmm. and the green bean, by the way, is the banjo player in the band for people who are <laughs> <laughs> the banjo player in the band. Oh shit! I forgot to ask Suzanne if she wore a top hat because of the corn cob, because of the vegetable. <laughs> yes. <candy corn. laughs> Could you imagine? She's like, yeah, that was actually that's my, exactly uh, that was my inspiration. Was the corn. my inspiration was that I eat that candy all the time. And <laughs> I think I broke my ass. That's right. Uh, oh man, you know what? I forgot to hold on a second. Wait a minute. What? I forgot to. Uh, Load something here. Wait a minute. Hold on. Oh boy. Wait. I'll give you asthma. Okay. Good. All right. Oh, there you go. Okay. Sure. I didn't have that. I didn't have pre- it on I just... deck. Now hold I'll on. I'll give you asthma. Yeah. I'll give you asthma. See, that's there. You go. All right. Um, do you have? Do you have? Ezra, do you have any phobias? Uh, yeah. What um, do you got? Spiders. Although that's getting a little better. Um, I try not to kill them anymore, or at least I'll. Whoever's around me, I'll be like, don't kill them. Just put them in something, but get them out of here, please. Get them out, like put them in a cup or something. and Yeah, put them in a cup and take them away. I do not need them staring at me. Have Um, you seen the movie Arachnophobia, the movie with uh, John Goodman? Yes, I did. And it was, yeah, no, not a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, spiders. It's You know what? It's insects. It's really like insects that can jump. So crickets, like whenever, if you're in like high brush or near high brush and you just... (laughs) 
you can hear crickets and stuff, and they're jumping. No, thank you. Um, well, we we showed them. We yeah. ate them a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I showed that damn cricket. <laughs> um, but those were tiny crickets. Like, do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? You've seen yeah. them. Yeah. No, no, no. I know exactly enormous. what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Anything that has, like, a long, long skinny little insect legs and, like, daddy long legs or those, like, stick bugs, any, really yeah. any kind of bug that looks bigger funky. Little than funky a hand. Animal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, like, not a, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not big on, um, for some reason, uh, uh, I, like, snakes and stuff don't bother me. You know, insects, not really. I have a not a big fan of uh, of, of roaches. Well, nobody is. And um, yeah, and I have a, I yeah, roaches, snakes. Have you ever seen Creep Show, the George Romero movie Creep Show? No, um, no. I would suggest that if you have a, a, a cockroach phobia, do not watch. Uh, oh, I'm good. Creep Show, because um, yeah. it's unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it's unbelievable. No, you know the you. you know the quick story about that. I have a friend who went to Carnegie Mellon. George mm-hmm. George is from was from Pittsburgh, um, and uh, when they shot Creep Show, they imported live roaches from around the world because they wanted big ones and small ones. And because at one yeah. point, E.G. Marshall's body splits open and thousands of cockroaches pour out of it, oh, and they're cool. and they're mm-hmm. big and small, and they're all kinds of like flying all kinds of shit. Okay, and so they had them <laughs> imported, and they kept them in bins in a basement at Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. And this was they shot that movie in 1981. My friend went to college there. My uh, went to college there. She went to college there in like 84, 85. Mm-hmm. And those roaches had infested the basement. They got rid of them, but yet they got in. Oh God! And so there was yeah, a no. there was an there was an imported roach infestation at Carnegie Mellon in the late oh, 80s because no. of because of the <laughs> I know. Oh. Thank you. So I'm not yeah, good with I, that. I can't. No. Um, I, I just watched uh, on Sven Gulli this past weekend and the weekend before Sven Gulli showed the two Dr. Fives movies because it's Vice, Vincent Price month. Mm. So he's oh, showing nice. four Vincent Price movies over the course of May. And so he showed Dr. Fives Rises again this past week. And then the week before he showed the original Dr. Fives. And in the second one. Um, a guy is killed with a bunch of scorpions. Like, they crawl all over him and sting him. Ugh. And I'm not, I'm not at all good with scorpions. For some reason, they freak me out. Like, scorpions freak me out. Like, I there's mean, a, they have a, a... What is it? It's like a, a pokey thing on the back on of the their ta- The, the tail, <laughs> yeah. The big tail has the thing that stings you. Like, the, like a claw. Like a weird curly-tailed yeah. oh. claw. And Jesus. that's that was one of the things in Jack the last Jackass movie, Jackass Forever, which by the way is a fucking masterpiece, one of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> um, there's a scene where uh, this new Jackass recruit, who's a woman, she's one of the one of the mm-hmm. few women that have done it, um, volunteers to have a scorpion stinger on the lip. Nope. Um, Mm-mm. <laughs> what in the no the, the in the bit lip. Was, yeah, the bit was that she wanted to without she didn't want to have. Uh, she didn't want to have plastic surgery uh, or collagen, but she wanted big oh, I lips. See. So they yeah. said, "Okay, we got here's the jackass way of not not getting collagen or having surgery. We'll just sting you on the lips with a scorpion." Well, would you have to do it twice? Did they did both twice? of her. You know, they they yeah, she did it. I mean, they bottom. they had her sitting there. And she voluntarily did this. They had her sitting there, and they brought the scorpion up and stung her in the lip, and they did it twice. 
Now, did it sting? Like, yeah, no, it stung and it hurt, and she swelled. No, up. but I'm just like, how do you? Like, did they just put it near yeah. her lip? She was covered. She no, she was like, oh, her face was open, but they were all co- like the guys who brought it in had like gloves on and masks oh, well, yeah. and stuff. And this was all I just, done. You know, the precision of of trying to get it right on the lip. That's why it <laughs> took so long. Like in the movie, it took it took a bunch of attempts because. And at one point, it fell and it was like crawling across her boobs. Oh, and God. uh and 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 she's like get it off get it off and like the one of the guys one of the guys was like i have to have your permission <laughs> because it was on her boobs no i'd be like do what you need to do no but that was the thing <laughs> but i love that too like they, they, this is one of the reasons why i love the jackass guys cuz they they're really like nice guys they're idiots but they really like i'm not going to touch you because you didn't give me permission oh, to touch God. you and she's like yes you have permission to touch my tits yes <laughs> just get that thing Lord. off <laughs> yeah because i mean they kind of strike. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah, they do. And you have to get it. What, what they were so, doing was yeah. they were provoking it. They were pushing it up into her face and it hit her on the cheek and then it hit her over here. Oh, and no. It, did it, she it, like, did she get stung in the cheek? Or? She got stung probably four or five times in the, until they finally got her on the lips. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's amazing. You have to see ja- the Jackass see, movies that's, are great. Uh, that's where I'm like, because <laughs> it's not like doot, doot. One top lip, bottom lip, done. It's like no, well, no, no. And, this but, is the scorpion. And, and they you were can't... like, do you, no. And they were like, do you want to stop? And she's like, no, let's do it. I want to get the footage. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I mean, oh, you know, jackass. Those guys yikes. are fucking nuts. They're fucking crazy. And that's I love those. Oh no, yeah. You got to see the fourth one, Esmeralda. It's just as good as any oh, of the other Lord. ones. Uh, all right, all right. Are you ready for some celebrity phobias? Yes. Now you know. Now now you know the the big one for me is is uh, is. Um, people breaking into my house like a home invasion mm-hmm. that's yes. the really that's a bad one for me it causes nightmares i have to make sure that all my doors and windows are locked before i go to bed every night that's just a mm. that's, so that's a big phobia for me but did you know that adam driver has uh such a phobia about he can't stand watching or listening to his own performances um that they played a clip uh, uh of marriage story before an interview and he walked out <laughs> Like he can't stand. That just to- seems like I almost feel like he uses that. It's like not really, but he's like, "This is how I get out of doing things." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not crazy about hearing myself back. I mean, I don't think anyone is really. You have to be a real narcissist to yeah. be like, "Oh, I love it." Like yeah. I hate having to like I have to record things and listen back and edit them, and it's I like know. it gets it's like. Bleh. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to yeah. do it. I know. But I, I mean, it wouldn't just walk out. <laughs> yeah. Somebody did that. But I remember that it was on CNN. I think it was uh, it was a, it was a spot they did on CNN, and it was you know uh, one of those junket things where they only get ten or fifteen minutes with the person. Yeah. And they, also, and, I'm like, how did no one tell them? <laughs> well, no, I think they did, and that's one of the reasons why he left. Because I mean, this oh, is, and they're like, forget it. Yeah. It's no, the publicists are obviously going to tell those people. Like, I'm sure that he told the publicists, I don't want anybody to play any clips while I'm there. Make sure they know that. And then they played they're the probably, clip anyway. They're probably thinking, oh, he's just being yeah. a diva or whatever. Right. And, <laughs> and he left. There you go. Well, he left. And they had no interview. <laughs> oh, wow. So, Dang. Yeah. All right. What else? Celebrity. What's the next one? Uh, tell us the next one, uh, Esmeralda. Uh, I think, well, I think we've Foster, talked about this. We talked about this we, one. Okay. Yeah. Although this one is, I like the way they say it because I'm curious. It, I feel like it needs to be more specific. It says Jodie Foster has a fear of cats because a lion nearly killed her once. See, but now fear of cats, like even house cats, or just big yeah, cats. I I don't <laughs> like, know. 
Because um, I could understand if, yeah, you've been attacked, and yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to see lions, cheetahs, yeah, tigers, but like Jake the calico is fine. Cat, but yeah, Jake the, is okay. Yeah, <laughs> the tabby cat that's like hi. <laughs> Well, I, I, the reason why we talked, I think we talked about this before, is because it happened on the set of 72's Napoleon and Samantha. She was eight years old, and a lion picked her up in its jaws and shook her. And remember, we mm-hmm. were talking about that. We were talking about crazy shit that happened to celebrities. And mm-hmm. remember, she was not the only one. Somebody else got picked up by like a lion and ran off into the desert or something. You remember? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that would scar you. <laughs> so apparently, she's afraid of cats. I don't know. Yeah, I just I'm curious if it's just big cats because that I could understand. That's that's interesting. But yeah. like little ones. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, some people are afraid of cats. People, you know, people have phobias. People have all kinds of. They phobias. should be. Uh, <laughs> I mean, cats are mean. Yeah, I love them, but they are. They're I great, also... but yeah, but sometimes they'll just like look at you. You look at them wrong, and then they yeah. go ah. It's like they'll kill damn. you. They'll kill you. I love cats. They're nuts. But yeah, she's afraid of cats because she was almost murdered by a lion. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, it makes sense. That's legit. <laughs> All right. How about this one? Billy Bob Thornton oh. is somehow utterly afraid of pieces of antique furniture. What? Um, it was a kind of a problem on the Love Actually set when Hugh Grant would point out antique furniture to him, making him freak out. Billy Bob Thornton is in Love Actually? Is he? I don't, I've never seen it. Well, I wish I hadn't. I've only seen it the one time. People love that movie. For I mean, reason. yeah, I'm, I, that's why I'm kind of like, I don't want to see that. No, it's like it's become like a Christmas movie now. People watch it every Christmas. That's a bi- it's a big Christmas movie now. Love Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Which see, I but don't... I'm see. Also, I would like some. Uh... Oh, here we go. There's a new There's a New York Times article of why Billy Bob Thornton is afraid of antiques. <laughs> uh huh. Um. And... So. Uh, he seems like he's afraid of a lot. He seems like he, Billy Bob Thornton, from what I've read, is a strange cat, like a dude, like a weird, weird. Dude. Yes, he's um, a weird dude. Yeah. Like, oh, remember okay. when he so, and Angelina, he and Angelina Jolie were running around having sex in limos and drinking each other's blood and shit. Remember? That? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So apparently, he says. Says so the question was, I find it curious that a lot of your phobias are home related, like your fears of antique furniture and silver. He's also scared of silver. Uh, and then he says, my phobias have been greatly exaggerated. I don't mind a chair. I can go. <laughs> I can go as far back as you want with Asia or Mexico. I don't know what that means. It's that. Oh, it's that French, English, Scottish, oh. old mildewy stuff. Oh, okay. Old, dusty, heavy drapes and big tables with lion heads carved in it. Stuff that kings wore around. That's the stuff I can't be around. It was too big to be functional. It creeps me out. <laughs> that is so crazy. It's so crazy. Um, it's so spe- That is so specific, though. That is such and a then they ask him. Party. They ask him about the silver. Like, why do you dislike silver? He says, you know when you go to a dinner party and they use good silver and the fork is three feet long? It's like a damn garden implement, like a hoe or a rake. I want something light, where the food is the foremost thing on your mind. Wow. Okay, wow. Uh, well, I have to say, I've never been to a dinner party like that. I, I don't right? think. Um, I mean, I, I guess just don't go to dinner parties. Uh, yeah, especially ones like that. What kind, <laughs> what, the, what kind of fucking dinner parties is Billy Bob Thornton going to when they're giving you a three-foot-long fork? 
I just what? love he's like, I don't mind a chair, but it's the big gr- It's like, okay. I don't mind a chair. Like, chairs are fine, but drapes? And it's like, okay, dude. <laughs> and specifically when they have lion's heads carved. Well, him and J- Jodie Foster would freak out then because there's a oh, goddamn yeah, lion's sure. head. Uh, in there oh man uh, and, and and seriously i mean this is i'm we're making light of all this but phobias are real because you know even if right, they're weird but come on no i know i understand antique furniture antique i can furniture. understand that's, that's, the cats thing yes but that's that antique furniture and like you know silverware big silverware that's like a that's a rich person problem that's a rich person right? phobia you know what i mean like they're i don't have phobias I, though he just seems to be like annoyed he's a, by them yeah and he's a weirdo i mean billy bob thornton's yeah, a fucking weirdo that. anyway but like like legit phobias like i'm terrified of home invasion i have nightmares about it that's legit yeah um i'm claustrophobic i can't like uh, lay on my back if someone pins my shoulders i freak out completely yeah and like watching kill bill the buried alive scene and watching Oof. a serpent in the rainbow i hyperventilated stuff like that mm-hmm. um the new movie Men, which just came out, which is an insane ass movie. Um, there's there's a scene, there's a, a long sequence in that movie that involves like a dude creeping around outside this girl's house and she doesn't see him, and Ooh. the audience does through the window and shit. Oh no! And like knocking at the door and creeping around. I was like hyperventilating in the theater, and and Ugh. so that shit's legit. So I'm not, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, as we laugh about some of these phobias, I realize that a lot of these are like legit. We know that, but antique forks, fuck off. You know what I mean? <laughs> silver, silver you know, forks at yeah. garden parties. Get out of here. It's a no. <laughs> All right. How about the one, guy from One Direction? Yeah. So uh, um, I believe it's Neil. Neil Horan. I think. Or Horan. Yes. He has a fear of birds, which no, that's totally I can understand. Totally legit. Some of, some of these birds, especially when they're, they have babies, they dive bomb you when they you're do. walking by. No, they do. You're absolutely right. And I live right next to a Blue Line station at the Kennedy. And so in order to get mm-hmm. to the Blue Line station, I have to walk under the viaduct to get to the station, to go upstairs to get to the station. And it's pigeons are everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And, and yeah, they can gang on. They're big. Absolutely. And there's pigeon shit all over the place. Like when you walk, you know, the sidewalk is covered in pigeon shit. Mm-hmm. The walls leading up to the, to the Kennedy and the viaduct that you're under. And I'm always uncomfortable walking because there's a whole group of pigeons in front of you on the ground. And they're not moving. Yeah. And you got to kind of stomp or move your way in. And They're then... like, this is my area, bitch. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then they fly away. And then are they going to shit on you? Are they going to peck you to death? It's, you know. It, uh, they use their bur- large bodies to just throw themselves at you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. A fear <laughs> of birds seen... is totally legit. What's really scary yet beautiful at the same time is I've seen pictures and video of just large numbers of birds flying in the sky and they're doing those formations and they, but it just looks like a blanket of birds. And it's very, it's very cool to see, but then also very frightening. Well, have you seen the footage of like, uh, of like the parking lot of like a target that was just like thousands of crows covering the cars? Yeah, that's creepy. That's, just like, I mean, why why is birds scary? Because of that. Because of that. Absolutely. Heck your eyes out. Absolutely. My parents live right around the corner from the uh, the patio theater, right, right mm-hmm. down the street from the patio theater, which is at Irving Park in Austin, uh, in Northwest Side. And the intersection of Irving and Central, which we have to pass, I either have to pass going there or coming home, 
For some reason, mm. the corner of Irving Park and Central, right by Portage Park, the actual corner where Portage Park is, mm-hmm. uh, on that corner, for some reason, is a huge pigeon gathering place. <clears throat> like the building yeah. on the corner... The build, and I'm not even talking about the park. The park is Kitty Corner, right across the street. But for some reason, they gather on the on the light pole of uh, and the street light at the corner of Irving and Central on the southwest corner. The building on the southwest corner, for some reason, the building on the southwest corner and that light pole at Irving Park and Central is a massive gathering for tons of pigeons. I don't know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Colin what... always jokes. It's like Pigeon Gang. Pigeon Gang runs yeah. deep. Like they. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, if you want to see a bunch of pigeons, go there. But no, uh, a fear of birds, totally legit. I can totally see that. Absolutely. Also, don't get me started on geese. Those Canadian geese, you think they'd be nice? No. Dicks. Listen. Dicks. (laughs) Have you had Have you ever been chased? I've been chased by those damn birds. Uh, In uh, Grant Park. Uh, chased by chased by geese. Uh, going. Yeah, you to look see- at them funny, and then they just come at you. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> we were going to see an outdoor screening of the right stuff in Grant Park, the movie, mm-hmm. the right stuff. And I was like, God, there's geese shit everywhere. There was they, for some reason, they didn't come in and clean the geese shit up uh, for that week. Oh, I didn't know they did. No, well, they they would like for for like big events, they'll go out there and like they'll clean up Grant Park, you know, beforehand. Oh, uh and but this was this was not one of the regular movie in the park things because in the summer they used to do it every Tuesday mm-hmm. for like two months during the summer every Tuesday was movie in the park you'd go down to Grand Park they had a big screen you'd sit outside drink wine and watch well you weren't supposed to drink wine but we did you'd sit outside and drink wine and watch movies well you were there we were at the um, you and I were at the the Guinness Book of World Records thing. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah duck yeah, soup they... we were at, so yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but yeah. this this screening of the right stuff was not scheduled. It was like a pop up thing, and there were only like twenty of us there, <laughs> and there was geese shit everywhere, uh, and geese were popping up all over the place, and they were being, yeah, and they're probably like, "What are you doing here?" They were jagoffs, <laughs> and you know where else you see a lot of geese, Esmeralda? Hmm. Remember when I used to do the um, the movie screenings at the Movieco Theater in Rosemont? Yes. Okay, well, I still go there. It's an AMC theater, and I still, because mm-hmm. it's a 15-minute it's a train ride from my place and a 10-minute walk. You've walked, you know, to the blue yeah. line from there. Yeah, All yeah. right, well, that walk, when you walk past what is the, the whole real estate area and the lawns leading up to the Hyatt Regency, mm-hmm. that is Geese Central, and they are jag-off geese. Yeah. Don't look at them in the eyes, because they'll <laughs> come at you. <laughs> really, what are you looking at? Yep. <laughs> They will kill you. They will murder you. They are murdering geese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're so. Canadian, right? They're those brown ones. You think they'd be nicer, but no. <laughs> they are not. Those are those are the dicks, as you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. <laughs> All right. What's after that one? What's the next uh the next one after the bird uh phobia? On the celebrity um, phobia list. The one after the bird and I kinda I kind of can uh, understand this one. Dame Judy Dench has a terrible fear of school children gathered together. I cannot totally understand that. I mean, I could see that. I was I I have to walk these dogs, and they live near a high school, and I walk yeah. them pretty much at the same time that the kids come out, mm-hmm. and they're just like they're all over the place, and yep. I just feel so like judged. <laughs> yep. I I and used this to... dog that I walk is a damn old show dog that. 
the right. owner dies its paws and stuff so they're like technicolor right. died dogs and i'm right, walking right. around with this dog and they're just like they crack jokes at me and stuff and i'm just like yeah <laughs> that's the high school that i used to walk i used to live around the corner from and i would walk to the brown line from through that through that uh recess area there it's a high school so not a recess but but through the parking lot yeah yeah uh, they're mean yeah yeah people the kids are mean <sighs> Uh, I used to live right now when I moved in with, uh, you know, my friend, my friend, Scott Oaken. Yeah. I lived with him for about three years. We lived in the honeybee complex, the old honeybee <laughs> complex. And when I moved in, I didn't know that the bedroom that I had, that I took over, mm-hmm. uh, the, my bedroom window was right outside uh, the recess area of the grade school next door. Oh, boy. And uh, so every morning from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., hundreds of kids would be screaming. And this was like, oh, yeah, yeah. this was, you know, years ago when I was still a drinking man and a bartender. So I'd get home drunk, you know what I mean? Like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and then three hours later, blah, 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 like 900 kids screaming yeah. right outside my window every morning. I mean, it's very children. I mean, again, why do you think that movie's scary? Children of the corn. <laughs> yeah. All kids those are damn ki- kids. Yeah, there's a movie, a horror movie, Esmeralda, if you want to see this one, there's a horror movie simply called The Children. <laughs> they didn't even, it's just a, It's just like footage, yeah. like camera, security we, camera footage of children. Like, it's not are even. You, we, oh, as, 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 as you have to hear, are you ready for the plot of this one? Sure. And I'm not fucking making this up. This is real. You can look this up. From 1980, it's called The Children. And what happens is, there is a leak at a nuclear power plant. So all this mist, like, you know, uh, it, you know, uh, uh, radiating radiation mist is floating through mm-hmm. the air, and <laughs> this is the real plot. And a school bus with the windows open, full of kids, drives through the radiation. You sure? And they all become like radiation monsters with black fingernails. And when they hug their parents, the oh. parents the parents burn to death and melt. Oh Lord! Okay, the, the children. That's gross. That's why you don't want kids touching you. No, I thank saw, you. I saw it at the at the at the Luna Theater, which used to be at Belmont and Cicero. The Luna. Oh, that was a the theater I've told you about. That was a the theater that didn't have doors doors to the auditorium, just curtains. Oh, so God, that you, so you could hear everything. Oh yeah, you could hear. They had pinball machines and shit in the lobby, and you could actually hear the <laughs> pinball machines and the popcorn popping and people outside. They never had doors. It was like the only theater I'd ever gone to in my life where there were no doors to the auditorium, just curtains. Wow. <laughs> And that that's where seems I saw. like a bad idea, but okay. Yeah, the children. <sighs> okay, how about this one? Woody Allen absolutely refuses to ride in an elevator, no matter what. All right, uh, good luck with that, sir. Because I of could that, get it though. Christina Ricci and Jason Biggs had to forget about the elevator and go up three flights of stairs to promote a movie one time. What? Why did they why have did to go they? up the stairs? Yeah, yeah. fuck that. I'd be like, good luck. <laughs> good luck, Woody Allen. We'll see you up there. Yeah. Yeah, he had no he had no fear of uh, riding in an elevator unless there was an under underage woman on it. And then he was fine. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Um, no, I'm I'm not happy about elevators because of my claustrophobia. And when I was when we were, you know, when what we, about glass ones? Uh, listen, uh, the the convention the the flashback convention this year is at the Hyatt mm-hmm. Regency mm-hmm. at O'Hare, and they have glass elevators. And um, I know coming going up to my room, I'm going to be freaking out. I know that. I mean, you could just go up the stairs. 
yeah, but I usually they put me up on like the fifteenth floor or something. I'm not gonna walk up fifteen. And like when we when we moved over, <laughs> Esmeralda, when we moved over, I just love that you're you're like, nah, no, no, no. No, I, I mean, I'll close, deal with it. I'll freak I'll freak out for for a couple of minutes. I'm not gonna walk up eighteen <laughs> flights of stairs. So you'll but, deal with the freak out for the few minutes. Versus absolutely to avoid upstairs. exercise. To avoid exercise, fuck yeah. <laughs> I would rather I would rather be paralyzed with fear than oh exercise. Oh my god! Wow. So, but, but no, like every night going into GN, when we moved mm-hmm. across the river oh, right, uh, yeah. to, uh, to, to, to Wacker drive, we were on the 18th floor and mm-hmm. that elevator ride was very unpleasant for me every night. It was my least favorite part of the, of the day of the, of the night was going up to the studios and then coming down afterwards. <laughs> so. But yeah, the stairs wouldn't have been that bad going down. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But going, I, no, I will, I will, I, like I said, I would rather have, I would rather face paralyzing fear than exercise. You would have been so fit from yeah. having to climb every day. That's right. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Um, how about this? How about Oprah really hates chewing gum thanks to bad childhood experiences? See, but that's just, she hates it. It's yeah. not that like she's scared of it. <laughs> right. She hates Which chewing I could gum. see that. I could see that like yeah. if, you know, something... You grow up and it just bothers you. So she blames people for for that because she hates chewing gum. Can I blame Oprah because I hate Doctor Oz and Doctor Phil? Can I blame her for that? I know, right? Ugh. Fucking Doctor Oz. Now he's probably gonna. Ugh. Anyway, um, she grew up poor and her grandma would stick chewing gum around to save it. So Oprah would bump into chewing gum, uh, uh, say on the bedpost. I used to do that when I was a kid. Put the gum on the Put bedpost. It on your bedpost. Save it. Yeah. That's disgusting. It was. <laughs> but you're a little kid and you don't have access to bubble gum all the time, you know? Right. Because it's like and a also, treat or whatever. And also there was that song, the famous song. Um, what does song? your Oh, you don't know the song? Does your bubble gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight? Well, I did not know that was You don't know that song? I don't think so. Oh, you got to look it up when we're done. Look it up. It's. I want to say it's from the 50s. Mm. Um. Does your gub- bubble gum lose its flavor on the bed post overnight? On the bed post, it's like that's. I'm not kidding. I'm not. Does the song? Does the song uh, answer the question? I don't remember. I think it does. <laughs> I think it does. At the end, it goes, and it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the song. And it does shit. That's it. <laughs> but no, that's an actual song. Look it up, Esmeralda. Does huh, your che- does your bubble gum or chewing gum? Maybe it's chewing. I don't remember. It's either bubble or chewing. But does your chewing gum or bubble gum lose its Flavor on the bed post overnight. Hmm. That's the song. Well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I wouldn't be good with that. How about that? How about my how about my man? Tell everybody about my man JT. He is scared of spiders. Now you guys would get that's a great there you go. There's your there's your in when you meet Justin Timberlake. <laughs> sure. That's your in. Oh my god. <laughs> See, but I wouldn't do this. Okay. He said that one time he was staying at a nice hotel and he had to call reception because he saw one in his room. See, like, I would figure it out. I would be screaming and it would take me probably like a half hour. But I would get, <laughs> I would get that thing and then throw it in a cup and then probably pour it down the drain because there's no window to, like, open. Yeah, yeah. I'll be like, sorry, dude. Sorry. Hope you can surf. I'm, I'm paying money <laughs> for this room. I don't want you here. You're an unwanted guest in my in my hotel room. Um. 
Yeah. Well, that's your end to JT. Next time, next time you see Jerry, next time you see. Sure. I'm just going to yell at him. Like, man, hey. Hey, Justin, man. I'm afraid <laughs> of spiders too. Of spiders. And then he'll be like, yeah, you are. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. We're well, best uh, friends now. It's like, okay. Let's, let's, I'll get rid of that <laughs> Beal chick and you and I can hang yep. out. That's exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, well, wait a minute. You know what happened? It was, hold on a minute. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. See, Carrie Russell, she heard me talking about chicks and came in. She's like, I'm Carrie Russell. I'm Carrie Russell. Don't be talking to him. (laughs) Um, How about this one? We talked about this last last time. Khloe Kardashian tries to avoid uh, one part of the body, and that's the belly button. She says, I hate belly buttons. You can't touch mine, and I don't want to touch yours. I mean, it's kind of gross. I mean, they're gross. Apparently, you like them, but I, do. I think they're weird and gross. I do. Now, the reason why Especially we brought that Audis. up Sorry, is because <laughs> the, last, the last time we talked, we talked about John Stamos, and he has a weird belly button, and we talked about that. Oh, that's he, right. Yeah. That's what brought up the whole conversation, and I happen to be a fan of a, of a, nice, uh, of a, of a nice navel. And, uh, Chloe would probably be freaking out over Stamos's Completely. Weird belly no, no, no. Button. Yeah, even I'm a belly button. I'm a belly button lover. I love the navel very much. And even I looked at John Stamos's and went, "Woo!" <laughs> You're like, "God, yeah, what is that, sir?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, this next one is one of my favorite people ever. Is Kristen Bell? You like Kristen Bell? Yeah, she's good. I love I, her. I don't know if I believe this. Uh, what she does to avoid well, her. T- no, I love the story. You 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 tell tell everybody what Kristen Bell does because of her phobia. And what, well, apparently what she goes to great lengths to avoid touching people with pruny fingers. So since she doesn't want her fingers to get wet, she wears gloves in the pool. Um, I don't. I that. Okay. Gone. I've seen interviews with her and I've seen interviews with Dax and it's true. She um, wears gloves in the pool. That's what she says. Um, I cannot. Yeah. So she's not a fan of that, okay. of the pruny. I mean, cool. Oh, my yeah. God, there's pictures. <laughs> of her with gloves, right? Yeah, there's yeah. pictures of her with gloves in a pool. Yeah. She's straight. Oh, God, she's wearing, like. Yep. They look like like surgical gloves. Yep. No, exactly. Oh. I know. I've seen it. I've seen those pictures. It's a real thing. All right, then. So. Hey, uh, you know, my dad Yikes. doesn't have any phobias. Did you know that? Really? I don't think he does. Maybe he does. I'll have to ask him, but wait a minute. Yeah. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. Carrie, I love get out of the... Nick my dad show. has to push Carrie Russell out of the way. <laughs> yeah. And, Sorry, and Carrie. Carrie, Russell, Carrie Russell's still out there going to start some shit with Suzanne Vega anytime now at some point. <laughs> uh, my dad's here. Do you want to hear a joke from my dad? Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, here we go. Hold on. Oh, it's the best part of the week, baby. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Oh, yes! Here we go! Yeah. All right, there's my dad telling a joke. You remember the last one, the meat patty, which I thought was like maybe the greatest mm-hmm. joke I'd ever heard? Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right, Dad, tell us another one. You punched uh, Carrie Russell in the face, so you may as well tell the joke. <laughs> what type of music should you listen to while you're fishing? Something catchy. <laughs> oh, God. Very good. 
That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you asthma. So, uh... <laughs> He'll do it again. He'll tell another joke next week. I love my dad. He tells such weird jokes. Okay. Are you ready for some more fresh vegetable candy? Oh, yes. All right. So we've got, we've been taste testing weird candy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Archie Mc, Andy McVie, Archie. Yeah. There you Archie, go. You got Archie it. McPhee. <laughs> they do yes. the fresh vegetable candy. We tasted the corn, which was tasted like kettle corn was sweet. Mm-hmm. And we tasted the carrot, which was terrific and actually tasted like a real carrot. Yes. So now, are you ready, Esmeralda? Green bean. Green bean. This is a green striped hard candy that looks like something your grandmother would have in her house. Here we go. All right. It doesn't really smell. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Ugh. It doesn't really taste like anything. It doesn't taste good. Ugh. I kind of get a green, like a vegetable taste. Yeah. But I wouldn't say green bean. If you didn't tell me it was green bean, I'd be like, this tastes kind of vegetable-y, but I would not be able to narrow, I wouldn't be able to narrow it down specifically to a green bean. Yeah, it just tastes like a vegetable, but I I, couldn't tell you which one. (laughs) Uh, I vote no on this one. Sorry, I'm spitting it out. No. Nope. No, no, Esmeralda? Yeah, it's... Oh, the no, after- it's not good. Oh, the fucking aftertaste. Oh, God. It doesn't taste... I don't like that it doesn't taste like a green bean. Oh, God. It just kind of tastes like a general vegetable. No. Okay, we have to and end the show. And then it's not even good. We have to end the show. Yeah. Because I have okay. to brush my fucking teeth. <laughs> oh, man. Get um, some mouthwash. My, my thanks. to you rule the planet, oh, as always. You. And on Friday, uh, we're going to talk about... Um, Creepy doll heads, hamsters, and uh, worms, and basically how nature is striking back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. We'll do that. In places yeah. you didn't expect. Exactly. Or in Eric, ways like... <laughs> Eric Childress and Steve Procopi. Big movies to talk about. Big uh, uh, Memorial Day movies, including Bob's Burgers, which, by the way, Esmeralda oh. fucking rules. It's awesome. Oh. And the new Top Gun Maverick, which sucks ass. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we will talk about those. <laughs> Not to blow the surprise or anything, but that'll be coming yeah, up on so Friday. Cool. Uh, my thanks to Jason Skaggs for everything. My thanks to Suzanne Vega, the one and only, for so such a memorable uh, time hanging out with her. And my thanks to you. Be a part of the podcast. Uh, voicemail, 773-417-6948. Leave it now. Emails, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Ed, everybody at radiomisfits.com. Rank us, review us, rate us, go to any platform, make sure we get some feedback, and uh, check out all the other really great podcasts at Radio Misfits, and we will see you on Friday for the next uh, episode of the Nick D Podcast. Uh, Thank you all for listening and subscribing. 